This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 Is that right? Man, I love that. What to do, KTTV? This is KT, and I'm coming at you live with another episode of the Daily K Podcast. And on today's episode, I have, and I love starting with this, executive, life coach, author, and so much more, Miss Madeline. How you doing today? I'm doing great. That was uh, really fun watching the kickoff there. Thank you. Hey, look, um, so look, when I tell you those people all put together uh, and came through for me in the clutch to do it, uh, thank them. <laughs> they were so, great. They were great. Uh, Ms. Madeline, how uh, are you doing? I want to say thank you for taking some time out to come on and, and talk about your work. Um, um, and as you know, before we jump into things, I like to do a wellness check as it's starting to get a little crazy again. So how have you been doing and how have you been staying safe uh, during this pandemic? I feel really lucky mm-hmm. that it's been on the easy side for me. I um, live in a setting where there is tons of support, but I also have um, right here a private exit to a patio to the street. So I feel really safe. So when I'm walking the dog or whatever I need to do, I can be in and out. But I also have lots of wonderful neighbors and supports and families in the area. So thank you. I feel really uh, blessed. And so far, even though I'm hearing, and I'm sure you all are too, that we're all going to get it, um, (laughs) I've escaped that. So I'm doing my best to stay safe and keep others around me safe. Thank you for asking. Yes. Uh, so, so important that we check in because, um, you know, I was thinking, I was looking at the news today and it said it was the youngest uh, death from Corona and was a 10 year old, you know? So, um, so many people, I had a friend call from uh, Louisiana and said that they just lost a sister uh, oh, from God. suffocation. So checking in is so very important, you know, yeah. Yeah. now uh, jumping into the work uh, that we're here for today, really talking about that stress. Uh, and, and as I put on the uh, title, uh, the stress is going to be there. But yeah, how we react to it is what's the biggest piece. So uh, give us a little bit of background on you and, and some of the work that you do so people can get a hold of who Ms. Madeline is. I just want to comment first, and of course I will do that, yeah. on what you said. It sort of echoes... Marcus Aurelius, the Mm -hmm. Stoic philosopher, who said life is what our thoughts make it. And the uh, Buddha also said that there are two arrows. The first arrow, and I think this is the point that you're making, correct me if I'm wrong about that, but the first arrow is the thing that happens. Stress means we have to adapt or adjust to something. So something happens, and then we have to adapt or adjust to it. And the Buddha said the first arrow is the thing that happens, and that's pain. The second arrow is, and this is the really important part, 
is what the mind makes of what happened. The meaning that the mind attaches, the deal we make out of it in our head about what happened. And he said, that's the suffering. So the pain passes. But the suffering can go on all day, all week, all month, all year, or your whole entire life, the suffering that the mind creates. So when you say it's not the stress, it's the reaction or the response to it, that's exactly what he meant. Yeah. It's not the first arrow, it's that second arrow that causes the suffering, and we create that all by ourselves. That's it. Right? That's it, like being in the matrix. Yeah, right. I mean, literally. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. It. Okay. So you you want to know about me? Yes. Give us a little how far back do you want me to go? Look, I, I just how did you get into the work? Uh, because I, I've seen the Harvard. You know, I've seen all of these pieces. Yeah. So I just want to hear just a little bit. Okay. So the um, pivotal event in my life. Uh, was when I was 15 years old. My father died suddenly. And I of a uh, stroke. And I was, maybe you can already tell, kind of a mouthy little girl, a little spirited. Um, they used to call it fresh. I don't know what they call it now. And so I was grounded a lot. And I was grounded actually when he died. And I went, because people didn't talk to their kids about their feelings as well as they do today, back then, back in my day. So I went around for years, actually, thinking that he died of me. And yeah, one day at the cemetery, my mother, I broke down with her about how all my fault it was. And she said, no, honey. It wasn't you. It was work. So speaking of work, when he died, I was really worried about her. And I was 15 and I was living in Philly and I beat the streets trying to get a job so I could help her. And nobody would hire me. And that really left an indelible mark on me. So where other people will say things like, I have to go to work. To me, it's, it's such a privilege. Like I get to work and that has lasted with me my whole life. So when I, so I never did get the job when I was 15 because that would have been against the law actually. But I, um, went to the University of Pennsylvania Graduate Hospital School of Medical Technology right out of high school. So I didn't go right to college. I wanted to do something quicker, and that was only 18 months because I wanted to help her. So I started out in um, a clinical chemistry lab, the USDA Biological Control Lab, Drexel's Cardiac Cath Research Lab, working with um, blood and other products that I won't get into. I worked with bugs at the USDA Biological Control Lab. I wasn't really close to the people. Yeah. And over time, there was always this draw. 
And so eventually I started piling on one degree on top of another that brought me closer and closer and closer to doing the work that I do now, which feels like, you know, all of my clients want this feeling of like alignment that they're doing the thing they were put here to do. And I have that now. So I know what that feels like. And it's my privilege and my pleasure to be able to help other people get that too. Yes. I, I think about me um, with my grandmother, you know, telling her at nine years old, uh, vividly, you know, because uh, after going through so much tragedy, like that teacher uh, was the person who um, outside of grandmother was like that, the one. So I said, grandma, I want to be a teacher um, and I want to be an English teacher. And so I, like 30 years later, 20 years later, I became that English teacher uh, and then things have gone from there. And so that's also how I feel that feeling of alignment. Now, is there any way you can put it in words, that feeling? Don't put it. <laughs> yeah, you you just correct me if this isn't, isn't how you experience it, but you just feel like I feel like I was put, I, I'm doing what the universe put me here to do. Like there's, there's so many people come to me and they're doing a job and they're not sure, should they be doing that? Should they be doing, and then they're drained by all the energy that goes into wondering if they should be doing something else. Yeah. And it's, um, it's so peaceful and delightful to know that you're doing what you were meant to do. Yeah, because it just and flows. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I sometimes feel in my work, like I'll say something and I think, God, that was good. I feel like I'm channeling sometimes because everything in me is just so aligned with it all that it just yeah. comes out like magic sometimes. It's that's really. It. That's it. I'm so, getting a well, little carried away here. So No, it's all good. Uh, but, but just thinking about uh, today. So, so one of the reasons I'm so excited is, um, for one, it's been crazy out here. Uh, but for two, you know, I, I think about the stories I hear of administrators dying from heart attacks and found yeah. in their office or, or all of these pieces. And so uh, being able to just talk about this and, and, and being able to talk about what you do uh, with businessmen and women. So what are you seeing uh, as we go on through times like the pandemic as far as some of the number one stressors? Uh, and then how do you help your clients doing that? So um, you know about this, right? There we go. Yes. That's why we, yeah. <laughs> so um, when my clients come to me, they don't necessarily come in. In fact, I don't think anyone has come in and said, I want to have a great life. Can you help me have a great life? What they usually come in more with is something like they're in pain. And can you help me make this pain stop? It's like they can't decide whether to go this way or go that way and nothing feels right. And maybe they should have been further along by now. And they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. And that is just so painful. So do you want me to tell you what the acronym stands for? The G-R-E-A-T? Yes. So the G, okay, so the first line of that book, by the way, 
the book is derived from the growth of these clients. I got to a point where I said to myself, something is working here. My own educational background is so diverse that I, right? So I couldn't really put my finger on which part of that was doing the magic, which educational component was responsible for their well-being. And then they were all so different one from the other in age and ethnicity and occupation and whatever. So I was thinking, what, what, is, what is the common denominator? What is happening here? That, so I re-engineered back to this five-step strategy or process that they go through. The first line of the book is a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we live. I didn't make that up. Darwin, maybe. (laughs) But it's as true today as it ever was. That alignment that you and I were talking about, that's when who we are fits with the environment in which we work and live. So the G is for grounding in this belief, it doesn't have to be like that, and that we all have everything we need to actually have a great life. People don't really believe that right away, So, but I do, obviously. And so I hold that space until people can step into it and run with it and own it on their own. So that's the G. If a great life depends on um, who we are and the fit with, we need to know who we are. So R is for recognizing who we are. And then with a, and that's like not who someone else said we should be, or necessarily even who we might have thought we should have been. So with a little bit better sense of what really matters to us, what our interests and our dreams and our values and those kinds of things under our belt, then we go exploring. And people explore what's possible out there for them, which is so much more than a lot of people ever, you know, we have these limiting beliefs. So there may be opportunities or possibilities that they never thought of before, or maybe they did think of them before, but they went, nah, I can't do that. You know, that kind of, right? So the sky's the limit. And when people come up with something that feels like, huh, I'm really going to look into that, then the A is for action. So William James said that action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without it. So they have to manifest it, you know, like we all. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't sit in dreamland and expect that to be sustainable. It's fun for the moment and it lasts a little while just dreaming about it. But if it doesn't begin to manifest, the brain is not fooled by that. The brain knows nothing's happening here. So the brain needs to see certain steps. And we'll talk about what kinds of steps those would be. And the T is for tackling the normal, natural, 
expectable inherent resistance to change. So we can have all these great ideas about what we're going to do and we can plan out our action steps. And then there's something in us. And, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so it's good to make friends with that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Um, oh, what would you say? Awesome acronym. Oh, Thank you. Uh, I think I was, I was I really echo. excited. What? I think it's a little echo. Oh, well, it was a little echo. I think we're okay now. Can you hear me? No. I think I was talking on top of you. That's okay. There we go. No, it was, it's good. Okay. No, it's uh, awesome. Awesome acronym. Um, you know, I think about that great acronym and I use it uh, for my boys club. And so it's gentlemen representing education and transition. Oh, good. Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, awesome acronym, awesome work. Um, and so the, the guide uh, was something that I, I was like, man, <laughs> those, those, that is it. And so that's what's in the book, though. Yes. Yes. So the book has um, every chapter starts out with, and you can already tell there are these quirky anecdotes about my life. So every chapter starts out with one of those that is relevant to the topic of the chapter, whether it's about time or it's about money or it's about play or it's about how the mind works or whatever. And then there's a lot of um, theory and science. And then every chapter ends with a case example and an exercise. So there are 10 exercises in there for people. There are also free exercises on my website and I have a favorite one. I think that that whole process of great rests on a disciplined mind. So there's on my website at MadelineWeiss.com, there's a box about halfway down that says complimentary mind management exercises. And in the pull down, the first one if anybody wants to get started with them, the first one to do I would recommend is power breathing. It's a 30-second mindset reset anyone can do anywhere, anytime to kick whatever it is upstairs to the executive brain. So you're not shooting from your primal brain and you're definitely not making decisions. Do you know that human beings make 35,000 decisions a day? And someone said 200 of them are about food. And I think that's low. Hey, <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it though. That's, I'm thinking <laughs> that's gotta a good be more than 200 about food. So when we're making these decisions, they shape our lives. Yes. And a lot of them are very reactive we don't even know that we're doing it. And so this 30-second mindset reset, which is otherwise known as polyvagal breathing, um, kicks it to up here. So here's the hand model of the brain. And this is the lower brain center. And this is the mid center. That's the emotional center that notices something doesn't feel right out there and it starts going berserk. And when this thing is going berserk, and this is the frontal higher cortex. 
it gets knocked offline. So this thing, this little out of control thing is running the show. So when you do this 30 second mindset reset, what it does is it, it doesn't mute this, but it calms it enough that the higher brain comes back online. They're integrated now. This can say to this, I'm not too sure what's going on here right now. Can you help? And then this can say, thank you for sharing. I got it from here. And the decisions of our lives come from the higher brain with the data from the lower brain taken into account, which is very important. It turns out there's science on this too, that if this is not functioning properly, there's cognitive impairment that impairs the decisions. So everything counts. And what you want is them talking to each other. And this thing stimulates the polyvagal nerve, runs throughout your body and uh, kicks it up there. So I love it. And I recommend it. But that that reminds me um, of... um, as I was a teacher, I did special education for about 20 years uh, uh-huh. before going into administration. And I would work with students who were emotionally disturbed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when they would get upset or it would get to going, you know, just haywire, uh, I would always say right now is not the time. Right. So I would uh, give them opportunity to go to a cool down room, kind of cool down. And then we have those conversations. But but just as you said, uh, uh, when that little place is going crazy, there is nothing being accomplished. Uh, everything is irrational. And they sometimes come back to bite. Uh, so definitely understanding the science that we're talking. You know, when I first, years ago, first started doing this three breaths, before before I understood and knew about polyvagal breathing, we were calling it three breaths and a smile. And it came from my grandson, I think, who had maybe learned it at school or whatever. And we would sit at the dinner table. In fact, we still do. And it's so much fun and so funny. We sit at the dinner table and we say, let's take our breaths. And we all fall still and take these three breaths. And then we smile at each other. And then we laugh because we can't believe that we're really doing that. But it completely changes the emotionality it completely calms and uplifts, and it doesn't cost anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they said the smile brings out in the endorphins. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's just smiling alone. Well, they say that if, if you're feeling like dog do and you want to feel better, if you smile, it changes the musculature in your face in a way that fakes out your brain. It fakes out your brain into thinking that you're really happy, even though you weren't. And then the brain releases the hormones so that actually you do begin to feel happier. That's it. That's Just by sticking a smile on your face. (laughs) So now, um, you know, just just thinking about um, how how much our mind uh, is connected to our bodies. Uh, I know you talked about in a blog, stress brings about fatigue. Um, and so 
you gave us three steps uh, to fight this uh, fatigue. So please tell us what are those three and how would uh, me as an educator or, or um, factory worker, anybody put those practices uh, into work? So in that blog, I was talking about TMI yeah. causing fatigue, mm-hmm. that we are so burnt out by, so the senses send 11 million bits of information to the brain every second. The brain can only handle 50 of them. So there are three names you might know. Um, Well, you'll know one of them for sure. Einstein said something like, nothing should be in your head that doesn't need to be there. If it's something that you can look up, get it out of there because it's hard enough to process what you really need to process. People think they like need to know everything. It's exhausting and you don't need anything you can look up. You do not need to be carrying around with you and processing. There's another tip from an ancient rabbi, Rabbi Tarfan who said, it is not for us, we are not obligated to solve all the world's problems, nor can we turn away from them completely, meaning that we all carry a piece of the puzzle. We all have a part to play. I don't have to do everybody's part. I just have to do my own and make my own contribution. It is not for me or for you or anyone else to solve all the world's problems. And there are people who feel like wherever they see a problem, they have to try to fix it and they exhaust themselves and frustrate themselves massively. Then they have all this agitated feeling that they have to try to manage somehow. And that's even more exhausting. So, Those are two things. A third thing would be, this is from the Stoic Epictetus, who talked about how good would the carpenter's work be if he or she was, the mind was wandering. So he was, he was uh, stressing very big on attention like single point attention, because when you don't have, and the mind wanders about 70% of the time, and it's on past worries and future anxieties and regrets and woulda, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and all of that, which is also exhausting. So um, the idea would be to learn to discipline the mind so that, you're not like thinking about something else and making mistakes that take then again, more time and energy to have to fix. And another final thing on that point is in that pull down I was talking about, there's a, um, an exercise, all these exercises are only one page long, by the way, they're very simple. There's one there called focus and release. 
And what that is for is that you'll wake up in the morning and you'll like already be thinking about something. And then the next thing happens. And so you're still thinking about the first thing. And now you're thinking about the second thing. And by the time you get to the end of the day, you're carrying this big sack of everything to think about or everything you think you need to think about that is so heavy and so tiring. So this exercise, Focus and Release, teaches people the art of putting something down. It'll still be there when you're ready to go back to it, rather than carrying everything around all day long, so that by the end of the day, you're wondering, like, why am I so tired? It's too much. It's too much. And we have, we have control. If we take control, we can have control over cleaning that out and lightening that load. I um, taught a course that I made up after I started studying ancient philosophy. I thought, God, this stuff is so good. No one else I know is going to study this stuff. I'm the only one I know who will do this. So I'm going to put this together in real simple English. And I was at Harvard Medical School at the time, and I told them about it, and they let me give this course. And they said that people were beating down the door to get into this course because it was so simple but so powerful. So there was somebody in Harvard Health Publications who said to me, she said, oh, my God, oh, my God. I got back to my office and found this huge mistake on the masthead that saved us so much time and so much money. And she said, I am positive that had I not started doing this discipline the mind thing, I would have never found it. Tuning in. Huh? Simply tuning in to what you're doing, living in the moment. Paying attention. Yes. Taking control of your attention. Hmm. I tell you, it's hard to put stuff, uh, man, it's hard to put stuff down. I will tell you, Miss Madeline. I um wow. I, I think it takes some really, really good practice, but that mindfulness that it takes, I think it's a practice skill. Discipline, yeah. You have yeah. to practice. I always say practice, practice, practice. Yes. So have you made your New Year's resolutions? So um no. <laughs> because most of them, what is it, like 90% of them fail? Like yes. what's What's the point? And people keep making the same ones over and over again. So like you're like you're failing over and over again on the same one over and over again. But I did. Yeah. I did. I did pick a word. Okay. I like which, that. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people are doing now. Um, picking an intention mm. for the year. Yes. And mine, mine is going to sound very woo woo. It's love. And I'm noticing that every single thing, if I um, check it up against that word, which applies to everything more than you might think on the surface of it, you know, you would think it's just about your love life, but it's, but it's not. It's everything in the sense of... Um, like even your speech with others. So the Buddhists talk about things being 
that when you speak, is it true, kind, necessary, and beneficial? And a lot of times we say things that aren't necessary or beneficial or kind. So the um, love comes in there also. So I just find it a really nice North Star for all things. I agree. I agree. Um, I, we do uh, true colors uh, at work. And so once, once we do that um, test, uh, when you said it was kind of blue, ooh, I was like, yeah, that that's that's pretty much a blue person in, in that um in that personality test. It was be like just love. But when you think about it, um putting it up against so much, like you say, whether it's with your words, whether it's with your actions, uh intentions, oh uh, man, that's a good measure. So wonderful word, Miss Madeline. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, I guess as we get out of here. Uh, one more time, please tell us uh, the website um, so that okay. we can go and kind of do those mind, mind, mind over matter things. The um, the other free things on the website that I want everybody to know about is that every week when I work with my clients, I hear what kinds of things they're um, thinking about and working on and what would help them grow that I want to know more about. I think of myself as an instrument for their use. So I'm constantly reading and then writing about what I learned about what they're working on. So there's a blog tab on the website and there are hundreds of posts there on Everyday Matters you know, just science that matters in everyday life. And lately, I mentioned, I'm just like fascinated by peak performance decision-making in work and life. So I'm doing a lot of reading and writing about the myths. There are myths of decision-making that uh, science is busting, and I want people to know about that. So can you, can you give us a preview? I can give you a really good example. One yes. of what, the first myth that I came upon that I thought was really important was that when a decision is hard, people intuitively think that they should therefore spend more time on it. And the science recommends, and they did a study of CEOs you know, who have these major difficult decisions. And they said that a decision is hard because there's roughly equal um, threat and opportunity on either side. That's why it's hard. If it was lopsided, it would be an easy choice. Yeah. But it's hard because the pros and cons are roughly equal. So they're saying, therefore, do not waste your time. Just pick one and make it work. And they give the example of this, um, like a little fable, like of um, Borodon's ass. And they show this donkey. Mm -hmm. And he's got a pail of hay here and another one, a bale of hay here and another one here. And he can't decide. He can't tell which is better. 
So he starves to death wow. trying to decide which one to go toward. So, and then I, um, I'll tell you one more. I read another one where if you're in a leadership position and people see you hesitating, mm. they won't follow you. Okay. So your competition loves that you're in analysis paralysis and then you're waiting for perfect information to come in and okay here comes another one i read that once people have spent too long already deliberating in their heads mm -hmm. new information doesn't get in anyway mm. the brain locks it out yeah so this idea that the harder it is, the more time you should take, the science is turning that completely upside down. And I want everyone to know that. You know. Awesome work. Yeah, thank you. <sighs> thank you. Well, um, I just want to say thank you for taking some time out tonight. I want to say uh, thank you to you. Man, I, was, I, I just love giving that information. No, what were you saying? I just want to say thank you to you for having me. All right, look, uh, it was fun. It's yeah, fun. that's the yes. But uh, once you get the rest of that information, uh, because in in a um, job like mine, decision making is very critical. And yeah. if I can make them faster and more efficient, please help me. <laughs> well, my um, post this week is already up there. Okay. So you can look at that, and if you want to talk to me more about that, I would love that. Let's do it then. Well, um, okay. that will do it for us. And I want to say thank you again. Uh, I look forward to sharing this and getting it out uh, to the community. And Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, there we go. All right. This is KT. For KT. Hey, we'll do. This is KT for KTTV signing out. 100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 KTTV.